Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What did they tell you about me? I knew I had a brother, but I was only four. Hmm. I used to fantasize about you when I was in the orphanage. Yes, I had the same dream. consuming my blood. Look, I'm going to ask you one more time. What have you done to me? I've given you something you never dare dream of. What? Everlasting life. Welcome to Six Degrees of Retro here on the Hollywood Greg Podcast Network. I am your host, Hollywood Greg. This is a show where we take six movies of a certain genre, link them together for your pleasure, sometimes your pain. Who knows? (laughs) You learn a lot. You learn some new movies to go watch. We have a lot of movies this week that are on just YouTube because they're not available anymore on DVD, Blu-ray, anywhere. Rare movies, but you can watch them on YouTube, and they're fantastic. So when we talk about them and we tell you that they're they're there, go watch them. They're going to be awesome. We link movies through actors, directors, producers, soundtracks, whatever it takes, me and my trusty co-host Trista, the video vixen, are always going to link them together, and here she is. Hi, how are you doing? Hello. Greetings from the smoky Portland, Oregon area. (laughs) Well, greetings from the smoky Hollywood area. (laughs) We did. Our our coast is on fire, and yet we are. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> this yeah, is how dedicated I, we are. Yes. Mhm. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. We did our end of the world podcast too early cuz it would have been perfect <laughs> from the orange sky. I keep telling people, Trista, I keep telling people, it's like we're living in the movie Total Recall with the red sky. And if we walk outside, our eyes just might explode. You know, who knows, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. 
Uh, I just read that uh, Portland, or actually, I guess the state of Oregon, we are now number one in the worst air quality in the world. Not something to be good number one in. Not something to be good at number (laughs) one in. Nope. Nope. (laughs) I wish the Trailblazers would have been. But then when they, you know, they did good. But hey, anyway. um, Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. Um, we have some damn good movies this week, Trista. I'm telling you, um, you picked some do. doozies. I picked some doozies. Um, we are doing creature features this week, and before we jump into our list, I'm going to catch you a little off guard, but I know that you're going to have an instant answer to this. Um, what do you look for in a good creature? in a movie and we'll start with you. Um uh well it depends. I mean if we're talking about creatures as far as monster, I look for a unique design and also like what's how did this creature evolve? Like where does it come from? Uh you know, is it from another planet? Is it something uh, from another dimension? Is it uh, man-made? Is it, uh, you know, something that's always existed that we didn't know was even there? Uh, you know, that part really interests me. Uh, hmm. Damn, Trista. Thanks that's- for stealing, like, three of my five reasons. That's great. Thanks. Appreciate that. Well, that's as that's as far as I'm going to get for now. So I'd love to hear your take on it. Well, no, I'm pretty much in the same camp. It needs to be original. Just, mm-hmm. and if it isn't original, it needs to really good kills. Like yeah. we need some blood. We need some guts. We need some fun. If it isn't blood and guts, and it's a nice creature. We need, you know, just some good interaction with the human race. Um, And then it goes bad, usually. I mean, that's what a creature movie is all about. Everything's cool and goes bad or, uh, you know, it's bad from the beginning. And uh, they need a unique trait to them, which you touched on. Something that keeps them apart from all the other creatures and i think if we go through all of ours today they all have what we just named all these unique traits uh to them so uh um i think we should just get started i'm gonna start with my three and then we're gonna hit your three is that cool sounds good yeah all right in fact this this week, I'm actually more excited to talk about your movies than mine because I just like you really hit it out of the park this week with your choices. Oh. Well, no, no, I am going to kiss your ass too because I think yours are way more unique. And the fact that I had to watch them on YouTube only because they're not available <laughs> anywhere else, it was, it was awesome. It really was. I was driving my fiance crazy. She's like, we're watching these on YouTube. And then one of them, which I'll bring up, she didn't even make it through. She was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm checking out. That's good. I'll be in the other room. That's good. Great. Forget it. So uh, let's get started 
and we are starting with a great tribute to the late great John Hurd, a fantastic character actor, had some lead roles, had a lead role in my first uh, movie that I'm going to bring up, and had lead roles in a few other movies, and then kind of turned into a character actor like a Charles Durning later in his career. The film I'm going to bring up first is good old Chud, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. All genre horror fans know this movie. It's notorious for being pretty damn crappy and pretty damn fun. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Yep. You just nailed it really in that one (laughs) sentence. (laughs) I mean, this movie, the first time I saw it was at the Davis theater with, uh, Martin Wender, who, by the way, to plug one of my other shows, Deep in the Woods podcast here on the Hollywood Greg Podcast Network, we talk about movies like this there, too, about being in Chicago, in the neighborhood, in Albany Park in Chicago, going to the little neighborhood theaters. We'd go see shit like this, just garbage movies. And, I mean, if it said New World Pictures in the corner, I mean, or... um you know, any of the other crappy studios, we were just like, oh, we're in this Friday. And Chud, <laughs> I mean, the Chud trailer just speaks for itself, but let's get deep into the uh, plot here. Um, John Hurd plays George Cooper. He's a photographer. He's documenting um, homeless people in this subterranean, you know, area where they're all um, underneath this major city. And all of a sudden, the homeless start disappearing, and uh, he becomes aware of a conspiracy that they're disappearing from some strange way, not just uh, dying off from starvation or anything. And he teams up with a reporter, teams up with a policeman, and especially teams up with Daniel Stern, who's kind of like this underground priest figure or weird guy. And um, he's fighting, you know, these things that come out of the ground that are killing the homeless. He's fighting the man who's the mayor who's dumping all of this radioactive material under the ground uh, into the catacombs. And it's turning the homeless into chud. And it's great. And it's fun. And (laughs) it's boring. For the first 45 minutes of this movie, wouldn't you say so? Yeah, I my first note about this movie, um, and it's funny because I did watch it again uh, just for our pod, our podcast, but I'd also watched it. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs had shown it um, <clears throat> on his show, and I just remember like too much talking, not enough oh, chatting. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You, you uh, summed it up right there. there. Like, rarely do I say this, but this is one of those movies where I would recommend actually watching the sequel, which is by no means the best movie ever, but it is so much more fun, has so much more action. It's pretty damn funny. Um 
it doesn't take itself as seriously as this movie does. I mean, there's a little bit of humor in here, but for the most part, it there's a lot of conversation, and you don't see enough carnage on screen. Yeah, I mean, this movie, borderline Larry Cohen film, where it would it has a big message, you know, very anti-establishment, mm-hmm. and um, I mean. Very much against the man, very much at the time in the 80s, dumping toxic waste all over the city and uh, just using the city as your repository and getting paid off by big corporations. And that gets a little heavy (laughs) in the first half. And you're like, okay, when the fuck are we going to see a creature? And finally, strangely enough, when we finally see a creature, John Goodman is involved. (laughs) <laughs> as a beat cop comes in yeah checks out the legs of a goddamn uh diner waitress she's trying to make him a damn burger and you know be good to him at the same time he's checking around trying to pick her up and then lo and behold blam you know the big-eyed great looking uh for the time uh creatures show up the chuds and uh you know just start taking out people uh we get Great scenes like the apartment sequence with our uh, our uh, femme fatale, and uh, she's fighting off the the chuds, and you know everybody's trying to fight them off for the second half, and it's fun. And you got Daniel Stern in there, and John Hurd and Daniel Stern get stuck under the ground and are running on the same set, which is hilarious. From sewer cover to sewer cover, isn't that great? It's like a little uh, <laughs> yeah. On Scooby Doo, where they'd run through the pattern, I kept I kept pointing yeah. it out to my my fellow viewer. I go, it's like Scooby Doo. They're going to the next sewer cover. That one's closed too. <laughs> that one's closed too, because the mayor has closed off all of the sewer covers because he knows they're down there, and he figures I'll trap the evidence underneath the ground uh, of the two people that know what I'm fucking up. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the best thing about this movie is the thing you don't get enough of, and that's the monster design, yes. um, which that was designed – the monsters were designed by uh, John Caglioni. Yes. And he worked on, like, Friday the 13th Part Two, Basket Case, The Blob. Mm-hmm. Like, he did all these great movies in the 80s. Um, and I mean, his work, I, I felt like the monsters were effective when you got to see them. I just don't think they had enough budget to like show what these monsters were doing, uh, consistently or people like the transformation of people into these things. I, I don't even think there is a transformation scene at no. all. Yeah. Good luck with so, that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, you don't get as much of the chuds as you'd like, but they look cool when you do see them. They do. They do. They're really fun, big eyes, little jagged teeth, and, you know, they're coming up and allegedly eating people. You see a lot of aftermath in this movie, which annoys me a bit. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the 80s, that's how it was. As you, and you hit the nail on the head budget 
I mean, I didn't look at the budget of this thing, but I'm sure it's super low, and they cranked it out. But I'll tell you one thing, at least in Chicago, they put a ton of money into marketing on this movie because every subway stop had at least five or six ads of this. And that's why Martin and I went and saw this thing. We were like, Jesus, you know, we got this claw coming out of a sewer cover. We're in, we're in, just make it good. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're in, Jeez, you know, you know, you just sell it yeah. too far, you know, mysterious name claw out of a sewer cover. Okay. And then we, I remember us looking at each other after 45 minutes going, is something going to happen? And then yeah, finally, it's it's for, finally. for a movie that's so there's so much talking, which means if if that is the case, then it needs to be more character driven. Yeah. But there, the thing is, the characters weren't like fully developed, or else they did things that just did not make any fucking sense. Uh, John Hurd and Kim Grease, I thought they had zero chemistry as a couple. Oh, yeah. And I was like, how the fuck did he get her pregnant? Was it by osmosis? Because these people don't (laughs) have sex. They can't. (laughs) I just don't see it happening. And there's so many scenes. Like, she's supposed to be, like, this fashion model, right? And he's, like, this hotshot photographer. Mm -hmm. And there are these scenes where he's been underground, and he comes back home, and he's, like – just covered in yuck. She doesn't even react like at all to no. the, like if she's some you know hoity-toity fashion model, she would be like, "Ew, don't touch me." You know, like that was very unrealistic. Just their interactions together, the things that happen to her when she's alone in the apartment, like what you were talking about, like the shower scene. How yeah. can that happen? And then. She doesn't react to it. She stays in the apartment. She acts like nothing happened. It's just really uh, strangely bizarre. Like, I don't even know what her purpose was in the film except to have that one cool scene when she's, like, fighting off the chuds because, you know, they have that, you know, throughout the movie when they show their apartment, you see that samurai sword in there, and you're just like, hmm. What's that about? And then it's like, okay, that's what that's about. Yeah, I mean, the director seems like he was just cranking through the movie and uh, getting it done. Daniel Stern, you know, kind of steals the show as the wacko yeah. in here. And you can tell uh, he probably got a lot of acting parts off of this because he's just going for it. He's just having a blast, having a really good time. And uh, it's just fun seeing a lot of actors in here. Um, God, I just forgot his name from Repo Man. Um, he's, uh, you know, one of the there's tons of actors in here that just come out of nowhere. And they were struggling at the time and they ended up in this movie. And it must have been like a hot shit property to be in it. Mm-hmm. here in LA but they just the cameos keep coming in this movie and it's really fun um, yeah that's, just, that's one of the good things is to see these people like in really early roles 
because you know what they go on to do, but you're just like, wow, you you did your time. You earned, you know, all the accolades that you <laughs> get later. Yeah, okay. Because you I got them pulled up here. One. I got them pulled up here. You got Jay Thomas. He's yes, the other he's cop. The other cop. He's the other cop with John Goodman. You have Sam McMurray as one of the uh, other uh, cop beat cops. And I'm trying to find. Uh, there he is, J.C. Quinn, as Murphy, who is, um, you know, the mentor, one of the guys in Repo Man, and. Uh, mm, yes. Yeah, I mean. Tons and tons of actors getting their start. Patricia Richardson's in here for crying out loud. I mean, everybody like had a part in here. <laughs> and it's this little crazy ass, you know, movie. And uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's schlock, but it's fun and it's great. So uh, go check it out. You don't need to go on to. YouTube to find this. It's everywhere. You can find it on streaming, Amazon, everywhere. I, I hate to not plug physical goods, but just everything's streaming now. You can watch for three bucks, have a blast with it, and, you know, enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to say, because I don't know that uh, Douglas Cheek, who directed this, if I, I don't know if he did very much outside of this, I don't think that so. I can recall, nope. but he did do one of the children's shows ever, ever, ever made. Um, okay. He directed episodes of vegetable soup. Get out of here. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> for people who don't know, this was a PBS show in the seventies. Mm-hmm. That was like Sesame street and zoom combined, yep. but it was like, way funky and hip like this was for the coolest of the cool kids to watch um he directed that show wow and you can see episodes of it on youtube jesus yeah who knew everybody everybody's (laughs) got gigs man you know everybody jumps from genre to genre that's amazing i did not know that that's a great piece of trivia thank you for that Wow, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Jesus. I remember watching that show. Wow. <laughs> and then you do yeah. Chud. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. I know. It's like, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's let's meditate a little bit of, the, of a time here on John Hurd. I mean, this guy was just so amazing. And uh, did so many movies and then had a heart attack out of nowhere. And this kind of shocked everybody in uh, 2017, three years ago. I mean, this guy was in everything. I mean, he's in the next movie I'm going to mention. I'm going to link it, my next movie to him. But After Hours, Beaches, The Package, Deceived, Betrayed, which is one of these episodes I need to link something to Betrayed, just Costa Gravis at his, you know, most phenomenal and uh, very, mm. uh, very timely movie. Um, but uh, what are some of your favorite John Hurd movies or do you remember anything about him that you liked? Um, well, I always had a crush on him. I just thought he was gorgeous. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what are some of my favorite 
uh, he was in Heaven Help Us. Which oh yeah, was, that's my favorite. Uh, you know, that is my favorite. Oh, I was really? going to mention that. Oh God, just his character is um, when I did um, coming of age movies on my uh, yeah. Um, in the early days of Six Degrees of Retro, before you joined me, I did an episode about coming-of-age movies, and I brought up Heaven Help Us, and just a great movie about if you grew up in the hell of uh, Catholic schools, it's real. It's totally real. Um, I didn't go through it, but my chiropractor, I brought it up to him, and he's from Tennessee, uh-huh. and I had mentioned that I had watched it recently, and he went, Oh man, that movie's rough. It brings me a lot of memories. And I mean, John Hurd is so great as the one brother that's the reasonable guy and you yeah. know, not into beating the shit out of the students to get them to learn or when they step out of line, he's the conscience of the movie. Just, hey man, you know, we can be Catholics, but we don't need to, you know, be that guilty and punish people for uh, you know, their sins. So I always liked them in that movie, especially growing up in Chicago and uh, thank goodness, not going to Catholic school, but uh, going to a Catholic (laughs) church with my family early uh, until about age 12. um, I always liked them in that role. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Me too. mm -hmm. And Cutter's way. Cutter's way has to be, I would say probably my favorite movie with him mm. in it. Tell us why. It's just, um, it's one of those buddy kind of action films. It's, you know, once again, that's fighting against the establishment. Uh, it's him and Jeff Bridges, who is also another one of my favorite actors. Um, it's, you know, they're trying to, find out like well I think I forget which one of them finds a body I think it's Jeff Bridges finds a body and they he works with his friend who's played by John Hurt to figure out who killed this person right mm-hmm. um it's a it's based on a book that I've always wanted to read and I never have but it's just it's got a really uh unique feel to it uh, I saw it at the Hollywood Theater here in, in Portland a couple of years ago because um, I'd never watched it, you know, before, and I just was like sold. And I think you can actually watch it on Amazon Prime now. Yeah, it's a good one, and I'm gonna go back and watch it now that you brought it up. Yeah, it's a great one. I remember, God, the last time I saw that was with my father for crying out loud. Which means it was over oh, 15 really? years ago. Jesus Christ. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, this one, the, John Hurd deserves time for tribute. And it was kind of weird. He passed away quickly and was one of those people that just got like a quick tribute on the nightly news. And that was it. And I was like, are you kidding me? This guy is yeah. so many goddamn good roles. Just amazing. So, uh, Godspeed, Mr. Hurd, in the afterlife. And um, let's play the Chud trailer for our personal amusement. Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs 
an endless maze of subterranean tunnels, unfit for anything human. Unauthorized for anything experimental. Hold it! There's something moving up ahead in the tunnel! And unlikely to bring anyone down there. So... They're coming up. Chud. Chud. Check your basement and your bathroom. Keep off the street and try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow, the only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic, humanoid, underground dwellers. Chud. They're not staying down there anymore. All right. COVID, I mean Now that's Chud. a trailer. COVID, I mean Chud. <laughs> Excuse me, staying, <laughs> not staying down there. Same difference. Anyway, moving on. No political statements in this dojo. Just uh, all of us. Anyway, moving on. Um, I am going to jump to my next film. And John Hurd, who I've already paid tribute to, we are going to link him to my second film, Cat People, the great Paul Schrader masterpiece. Um, didn't do this till long after American Gigolo. And Paul Schrader just has a mood to his movies. He, it's a slow burn. Now, unlike Chud, that thought it was doing a slow burn, but was just being boring. Paul Schrader does a slow burn. And as you rightly put, builds character through his films and teaches you who all these people are. And then like on a good water slide, yanks the bottom out of the platform. And all of a sudden you're flying around and wondering what the hell's going on. And um, it's a moody erotic thriller about, um, you know, these uh, it's a remake of the old black and white cat people. And this one's in New Orleans. And uh, you have Natasha Kinski as Arena. And, I mean, she's great to look at. And uh, just here's what I have to ask you, Video Vixen. What mm-hmm. do you think of Natasha Kinski's performance in Cat People? She was perfect for this role. She really, she really was. I have no problem with her acting or anything. There are things about her character that I wish they had done differently. But as far as, I mean, I forget. There, there was somebody else. Oh, God. Bo Derek was, like, suggested for this part. Can you imagine this oh. movie with her nope. in it? Nope. They wanted somebody that looked good because there's a lot of nudity down the stretch of the film at the end. Uh, So I imagine that's why they wanted her. Natasha 
Natasha, every single time I watch this movie, I either like her performance or I'm irked by it. And I don't know. This time I watched it, it was okay. I remember the first time mm-hmm. I saw this, I was like, God, she's kind of amateurish a little bit. Kind of the way we were mm-hmm. talking about um, Melanie Griffith in uh, Cherry yeah. 2000. Just Natasha is not bad. She just seems green because it's one of her first roles. And yeah. watching it this time, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because you watch movies when you're older. And I actually kind of got into it because it gave her mm-hmm. a naivete to her whole role. So, I mean, there's a bunch. It, it, the movie starts with the prostitute being killed by a big black panther, a big cat. And uh, you wonder how it happened, and it turns out that it's um, Natasha Kinski's quote-unquote brother, and uh, she might be a cat too, and then you find out through the film they both are cats, and then there's this whole uh, lineage that goes back um, to their world where they are cats, and they meet their mother, and all this stuff. really great art direction in this film. And you have the Berman family doing their greatest with their makeup, their greatest with their, uh, their makeup, their visual effects, the effects of the people turning into cats are just astounding, especially for the eighties. They were so ahead of their Mm -hmm. time and just blow you away. Watching this again over the last week, I, had to watch it in two sittings and just both times I would just go, God damn, you know, they don't make movies like this anymore. And I know I sound like the old man on the lawn, but they just don't <laughs> where they just build they don't. and they're just calm and they're chill. And um, I mean, Malcolm McDowell, I know is one of your favorites. <laughs> yes. And he <laughs> is just insane in this movie. I think, you probably want to talk about him a little bit in this film. Oh, for sure. Uh, I actually had read someone else's review of this movie, and they they called him homely, and I lost my shit. What? Because I think he is one of the sexiest men ever, and he's very I, – I found him very appealing in this movie. Uh you know, and I didn't even find him like I didn't even look at him as the monster uh, of the film. I, I felt like, you know, he is this creature, and he can't help it. That's what he is. He's actually trying to do something to keep himself from having to kill. But the thing that he has to do in order not to kill is such a huge social taboo that. You know, it's it's just it's not gonna fly. You know, it's it's just you know this is not gonna happen. A bit on some weird level, you kind of wish it would, but it's not because it, we just don't do that sort of thing. Um, but I, I I didn't find him like repugnant. I actually found him very attractive. Uh, in Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell carries this movie. He is. He's the through line 
of this damn movie because um, the next film I'm going to link this to has the same theme as you just said. Mm-hmm. People that are, I mean, this is a cre- continuous creature theme. You are turned into a creature and you don't know why. And then you find out from either the origin or from somebody that also has been affected and become the creature that you have. And they clue you in and are like, well, by the way, (laughs) here's how it goes. Here are the rules. And you're like, fuck, I'm stuck. And they're like, well, you can either do this to stay in our club or you can get out. And it's kind of like being in a gang, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like, you hit the nail on the head, Trista. It's like you're jammed into this situation and you're this being. So do you want to stay the being or do you not want to be the being? And Malcolm McDowell, you're right. It's not his fault. He's not evil. This isn't uh, the exorcist where it's pure evil. He just, you know, shows up and is like, Hey, you're this, you know, Irina, guess what? And I'm your brother, and here's your mother. And one of the greatest lines when he takes her back, you know, to their land and says, we are an incestuous race. And that's what kind of puts the movie into Paul Schrader tilt land. You know, you're like, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore. And then you have the Giorgio Moroder soundtrack from the 80s. Just as we're going to hit on your composer later. But Jojo Moroder in this movie cranking out the, you know, uh, synthesizer beats is just incredible in Cat People. And you have that with the production design and the art direction and the performances. And the one other person I want to bring up besides John Hurd as Oliver is his sidekick in the movie. Kind of no other way of putting it. Turns out, you know, well in the end with her. But Annette O'Toole, young, hot, yes. smoking, redheaded, and Annette O'Toole. Wow. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yikes. I, I think you want to say a few shit. words about her, too. <laughs> Unbelievable. I was like, this is the best movie ever. Because... <laughs> mm-hmm. She, you got Nastasha running around naked. Yep. Then you get to see Annette O'Toole, who is perfect. Her body mm-hmm. is perfect. I'm just mm-hmm. not going to lie. Like, oh, this God, is supposed damn. to be a, a horror film, but honestly, sexual energy is what moves this movie forward. And that that undercurrent of, like, sex, whether it's between two, you know, partners who are like, you know, I'm going to put quotes around in love with each other because Oliver and Irina are not in love with each other. Okay. They're obsessed with each other. They're infatuated. It's not Mm -hmm. love, but that, that sexual chemistry that's between like Irina and Oliver. And then you have this chemistry between uh, Malcolm McDowell and Nastasha Kinski, it is there. It's, yep. you know, it's not supposed to be there because it's not right, but it is there. 
And then you even have this chemistry between uh, John Hurd and Annette O'Toole. You don't get to see it as much, but when they're interacting together, you can tell these people have definitely slept together. You, you know, it's there. Uh, you you feel it. Uh, and well, well, they eventually sleep with each other and get together probably, but in their defense and – I always bring this up between people, and I'm not trying to get you in trouble, but, I mean, mm-hmm. we've all had work husbands and work wives. She's the work wife, for sure. She's got his ass through the whole movie. You know, he yells, go get the gun. She's got the gun. She is connected to him. And then when they end up at the end together, you're not surprised because she's had his back the whole goddamn time. You know, so she's like. Uh, uh, I have a. T- <laughs> I have your a theory totally is different. different. Take on that. I here's how I saw the movie, and mm-hmm. we could be wrong, so somebody let us know. But here's what I saw. Oliver was Oliver and Alice. They were they were involved. Oh, you thought they were uh, banging the eventually. Okay, I they, got it. They were they were already banging, but then he meets mm-hmm. Irina, and he mm-hmm. totally just goes for it because he's yeah. overwhelmingly attracted to her. He never mm-hmm. fucking breaks up with Alice officially. Uh, she starts asking him about what's going on with him, and he just snaps at her every fucking time. He's actually, ding, ding. Oliver's actually a dick, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Then yeah, he, is. he he gets all up in Irina, right? And their there's their relationship is very problematic, but he doesn't care. Uh he's like to me, between Oliver and Malcolm McDowell's character, like John Hurd's character, he's the monster. He's the predator in this film. He's he uses Alice for sex until he meets Irina and then he's like, Ooh, who's this chick? And then he hires her to work in the same fucking place with yep. the chick that where that he <laughs> has been currently banging. Now he's going to bring the new chick in and be banging her. Uh, he never apologizes or, or like anything for any of that shit that happens. And then at the end, he just goes right back to Alice because, like you pointed out, she's always had his back. She, to me, she is the one pure, like, human in this movie. She's, like, the good guy. And he goes back to Alice, but then he keeps, you know, Irina on, as, on the side where he can stroke her every day. It's weird and twisted, and uh, I love it. <laughs> you know, I think you're right. I think you win this battle because um, – I mean, that's the way guys are. It's always the new, (laughs) exciting thing. And I try to explain this to my fiance. It's like new, exciting thing. And she's like, why why would you? I I mentioned nightmare X's that lasted like, you know, a week or two. And I'd be like, they were a new, exciting thing for a weekend. And then the next weekend you find out, oh, shit. You know, they're a nightmare. Yeah. And you got to go. And <laughs> Irina is a fucking nightmare. There's no two ways about it. Um, If you need to t- 
lesson learned. Here's a lesson, you millennial men. Okay, if you need to tie up your lover to quote unquote free her from her animalistic, real animalistic tendencies, you got a problem, right? I mean, <laughs> that's the the fucking <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, we yeah, use, and here's me the and thing. My, me, Do you remember what Irina tells him? Irina mm-hmm. tells Oliver, I want to be with my own kind. So yep. he interprets that as, okay, I'm going to turn you into a cat, but I'm going to put <laughs> yeah. you in a cage. She nope. didn't say that. She nope. didn't say, I want to be your captive the rest of my mm-hmm. goddamn life. She said, I want to be with my own people. So it's just him being an awful person and her just surrendering to it and being like, okay, well, I'm in this cage and I live here. I guess I'll just do this now. Man, there's so links to the next movie we're going to talk about and about prisons in the mind. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. I mean, he is a he is a dick. And uh, God rest your soul, John. But yeah, in this role, yeah, Oliver definitely was a dick. Um, let's talk about some of the creative aspects of this film. Just, I mean, beautiful photography. Um, mm. exa- as I already said, I mean, I mean, Lance Anderson doing the makeup effects, Berman family, all of them, as always, hitting the visual effects hard. Just you don't know what is a person inside of a cat or what's a cat or what the makeup effects are. It's so damn seamless. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember meeting them and the film I mentioned was this, I said, guys, cat people. And they're like, Oh my God, that was one of our toughest movies we ever did just to make it look seamless. And um, you know, Schrader apparently was very, you know, adamant. I mean, just Schrader is the king of Moody and he had Jojo Maroder on the soundtrack on American Gigolo. And he just kind of carried it, it into this movie. And as you said, sexuality drives this film like crazy. Um, just scene after scene after scene. And uh, there's a few breathing points, but otherwise it just like, you're, you're always tense through this movie. You don't yeah. know what's going to happen. And then Let's hit the, uh, you know, the coda of this. Um, David Bowie on the mothership um, doing Mm. uh, cat people putting out fire, you know, with gasoline. Jeez. I mean, this song (laughs) has, you know, stood the test of time. When you have Tarantino use your song in his movie, Inglorious Bastards, you know you have a incredible song. And just, it has this, Bowie did like three, four different versions of this song. And in the beginning, you get a version, and then you get the Jojo Moroder version. And it's just this incredible, sexy-ass song. And just tells a tale of this movie. And um, just, it's Bowie. So it's just great. Yeah. It is the perfect song for this film. I mean, honestly, the the soundtrack itself, like, 
it, it's like another character in the yep. film that is ever present throughout the the whole thing, and it, it fits with that whole kind of dark sexuality. I mean, we're talking about call it what it is. We're talking about bestiality and incest, and we're also talking about infidelity. Uh, these are like the the dark side of human sex. Well, I don't want, do I want to put human in there? <laughs> but it's the dark side of sexuality and the music and that 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 Bowie song. It all it's so goddamn perfect. It it's just and and I'm I'm getting overwhelmed. Like <laughs> just talking yeah, about it. I mean, just the music and the the actors the situations like the setting like the only other place i think they could have set this movie other than new orleans would have been new york like those two are the places that yeah. i think fit that kind of uh that darker sceney kind of th- this schrader aura you know that's running through this film oh my god uh, it, just- it's just you just reminded me of something I forgot to mention. I mean, you got Ruby D in this movie in a really young role, and she's just yeah. so goddamn good. And, uh, you know, has her part, you know, as kind of um, uh, Malcolm McDowell's, you know, almost, you know, cover-up person. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to do New Orleans, you got to have a voodoo person. And, you know, yeah, I think she pulls it off, don't you? Oh God, I was explaining to my boyfriend because he watched this movie with me, and I was like, Ruby D is like black acting royalty. Like she yep. and Ozzie Davis, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're icons, and to yep. see her in this role that that's like oh. I, I always love watching her uh, in this movie, and all I can say is like. Free Somali. I don't think she deserves <laughs> to be in jail. I don't think they yep. proved what Damn she right. did or did not know. No, you know what I mean. She ne- she never gave up the goods. Nope. <laughs> Unrightfully <laughs> prosecuted. That's right. Yep. Um. Just yeah. I re- I had forgotten she was in here. I hadn't seen the movie in at least six or seven years. And when she showed up, like I freak out my significant other all the time by yelling out characters and I just yelled, Ruby D, holy shit. I go, and she's like, who? And I'm like, do the right thing. All this shit. Just that's who you'll know her from, but she's been in everything. And I'm like, damn, she was just young. Everybody was so young in this movie. It was so great to watch uh, just Paul Schrader just like being the, you know, puppeteer you know, the marionette artist for all of these actors and, uh, you know, everything from the pool scene to you get these great tense scenes, which I love that Trader does in these, you know, apartments. I mean, your greatest nightmare is to have a large cat that you see trapped in a, you know, zoo cage in your apartment, you know, up- <laughs> So you're a cop and you're told, oh, by the way, there's a panther in uh, the fucking apartment. Good luck. You and the animal, you know, uh, you know, trainer go in there. What? 
<laughs> and you get multiple scenes of that in this movie, and every single one of them, it's like the door opens. You're like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, okay. Yeah. And it was just uh, genius uh, of the screenwriter and the director to take an old, you know, property of Universal's Cat People, and I think it's Universal. I could be wrong. I'm sorry out there. Don't kill me. But that's an old movie monster property, Cat People, where it's just people transforming on screen and turning it into this, well, how would you feel if a cat was let loose in an urban, you know, milieu? It's like, shit, that ain't good. It's kind of scary. Yeah, there's. I, I've seen the original movie i want to say it's is it an rko film i you're I right that's why i i didn't think it was universal you're absolutely right it is an rko film yes it, it has its merits it, it definitely has a mood but yeah i mean they basically just took that concept and just cranked it up to 11 with yep. this movie um, yeah. I think N- Natasha Kinski is naked like the final yeah. half of the movie, yeah. like 90% of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one part where I was trying to rewind it because there, there's a scene where she's out in the woods after the first time she and Oliver, Irina and Oliver have sex. And she's out in the woods and there's this, you know, she's stalking a rabbit. And yep. we were wanting to rewind that scene a little bit to see, like, because we couldn't quite, because of the editing, there's what happens with the rabbit. We were like, is that the rabbit's face or is that her face? Like, what is happening right there? So I tried to rewind it, and I accidentally restarted the movie. So my boyfriend, <laughs> he just starts blind fast-forwarding. You know, you don't get to see, like, a snippet of where you are in the timeline. Mm-hmm. So he just blindly fast forwarded and landed exactly where we were before mm. I fucked it up. And and I said, how did you do that? And he goes, mm. I have a pornographic memory. <laughs> well, at least you didn't end up on the scene where she was um, sucking on her fingers, drinking her period, because uh, my oh, lady God. had a problem with that. Lord, she goes, what are we watching? I go, come on, we've watched this great film all this way. Paul Schrader put in a weird scene, just cut some slack, you know. No, you, oh God. you hit a great. There's a bunch you know, of. There's a bunch <laughs> a little, of shit here, yeah. Little uh. moments like that, like uh. Uh, when what uh, what is Paul? Like when Paul has you know killed another person, and mm-hmm. there's like scraps of blood and guts all over his body oh, and yeah. he like just yep. gets a piece just picks a piece off of his body yep. and just starts chewing it and we were like Ew! it's called a horror movie <laughs> that's why it's called a horror movie that's right you get a it's a reaction and you know schrader was like we need this we need that we need the disturbance and it's it's a testament to him like yes. how it, there are some very gross moments in this mm-hmm. movie, uh, and I mean, the horrifying moments, scary moments, but yep. it never ever loses that thread of sexuality. It, nope. That that is never absent 
from the yeah. first frame to the final frame. Yep. Sex is just running rampant through this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's play the trailer who reminds us of that fact, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. Let's hit it. I knew I had a brother, but I was only four. Hmm. I used to fantasize about you when I was in the orphanage. Yes, I had the same dreams. Oh, yikes. Did you hear that? <laughs> uh, I didn't. Oh, there wasn't distortion. Okay, good. <laughs> I heard a little distortion. You know, I have a, <clears throat> I have a Cat People poster in my house. Uh, it's, it's in our hallway, and it's one of my points of pride. And this next, your next movie, I also have uh, – that on canvas in my office at work. So I'm like super excited. You you like nailed two of my like top ten erotic horror movies of all time. You you got me. Well, I'm about to move on to the second of one of my favorites. Um, I'm going to of course link uh, Mr. Bowie, who uh, wonderfully saying that uh, Cat People song and take it over to The Hunger, Tony Scott's uh, first film, first major film, masterpiece, uh, vampire film that pleases everybody that's into vampires, which it's Tony Scott as, if you want to listen to a tribute, I 
still have it up on the Hollywood Greg channel. And I did it a long time ago, right after he committed suicide, which we'll never know why he did jump off that bridge down in San Pedro. And it's personally none of our business, but um, he, uh, he was such an amazing director and the hunger just was his calling card in the beginning of his career that it was no doubt he was going to go on the greatness. And you have um, this vampire film uh, with bisexuality in it, incredible performances by Catherine Deneuve, uh, David Bowie, Susan Sarandon, this love triangle uh, to beat all vampire love triangles. And uh, you have Bauhaus on the goddamn soundtrack singing Bela Lugosi's Dead right out of the box like a bat out of hell. Um, and it's just uh, this married vampire couple between Bowie and Deneuve, older and younger. And he unfortunately gets this, contracts this degenerative disease that eats away at his blood or whatever. And it's told through this uh, subplot where Susan Sarandon is a geneticist and um, it's going through these monkeys um, that she's experimenting with. So the strain is hitting Bowie as well. So he's a vampire that is supposed to be immortal, but he's degenerating quickly, which adds a wrinkle to being a goddamn vampire. Wouldn't you think Trista? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, yeah, because uh, once you age so much that you can't move, how can you get your sustenance? Yep. Like the... <laughs> I always thought it was an interesting conundrum, and when I first saw the film, I was like, damn, okay, I get it. I get what they're going for here. It's based on a novel by Whitley Stryber, and uh, just great source material, great vampire story, adds a little bit of... Uh, kink to it i mean the opening scene is what everybody knows and i'm gonna bring this up and i brought it up because i think i reviewed this on a podcast before and it pisses me off uh roger ebert who i love god rest his soul happy afterlife he didn't like this movie because he said it's a whole vampire film surrounding a really good sex scene, really good lesbian vampire sex scene. And I'm like, that is really unfair. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Ebert and I don't agree on a lot of things. Uh, in fact, a lot of movies that he hates are movies that I love. So mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> he is, he is wrong, wrong, wrong. And in this case, dead wrong. Dead wrong. I agree. Uh, he, <laughs> I, I, I get kind of where he's coming from, but you can tell a lot about him by how he's judging this movie. He mm -hmm. felt like the, the lesbian sex scene was the only thing worth watching in this movie, which is not true. Um, it is, I would call this movie like a triumph of style over substance yeah. because mm -hmm. the characters aren't well-developed. There's a bunch of fucking plot holes. Uh, there's shit that doesn't make sense. But you know what? It's so goddamn beautiful that you don't 
care. Yes, it has the depth of a music video, but it's so, this is art. We're talking about high art on the screen uh, just between this gorgeous soundtrack. And then, like, my boyfriend and I, we were watching this movie. I mean, he pointed out to me, he's like, you can freeze any frame of this movie, you know, like, just and it's gorgeous. It's all like tiny pieces of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's funny. I, like that I you mentioned. Think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say. I I said this looks like an Alan Parker film. And now it's um, funny you say that. It, you know what I'm gonna say? It looks like I'm gonna say it looks what? like a Russell Mulcahy music video. And it's when ah. you said music video, I was like, "Yup." Here's the thing. Tony Scott and a lot of these other directors, they were just digging into the same. Everybody says they copied each other. You know what? It was the 80s. They were digging in the same hole. I I defend them all because it was flashy. One saw the flash and the lighting and the, you know, um, Jesus Christ, our favorite movie that we share is Streets of Fire, which set the whole goddamn you know um visual style with the uh you know puddles with the neon and all of that um put into mm-hmm. it an art direction so all these music video directors use the neon and the neon colors and the you know puddles and the water and the you know pinks and the blues and i mean that was what tony scott was doing and every frame, I agree with your man, um, it could basically be a music video of the 80s. Any, any scene yeah. in the movie. <laughs> and that opening sequence is oh my God. one of the best opening sequences yeah. of any film I have ever yeah. seen in my entire life. I've watched <laughs> millions of movies, and this is just one of those ones where immediately you are like, I'm in. Mm. It's, it's yeah. fabulous. No ice. Fans of the movie know what I'm talking about. No ice. <laughs> <laughs> Go get it for me, bitch, so I can kill you. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> oh, a woman never a never a woman never died over ice more in her life. It's so great. I mean this yeah. vampire couple is stalking this couple from a, a nightclub and Bauhaus is playing Bella Lugosi's dead and it's just when you saw it in the 80s like you were sucked in like it was this godlike movie and then you know they go kill them and suck their blood and then this beautiful scene of both of their onks with their uh, you know blades on them being thrown into the sink and the blood going down the sink and at the end of that you're just like oh okay what's next and unfortunately as you mentioned maybe ebert was touching on it gets a little it gets a little slow for about a half hour but then you get bowie aging with dick smith's amazing makeup and Mm -hmm. effect and just jesus um and Bowie, you know, he's worried, he's aging like crazy, and he sits in a waiting room, uh, and uh, uh, 
waits for Susan Sarandon to show up and she doesn't believe him. And then it turns, you know, then she shows up at the apartment because she's looking for him. And then unfortunately, but fortunately for us, you know, gets seduced by uh, Miriam. So uh, it's a great film. (laughs) Yeah, I read um, that. So originally the idea was for, you know, Susan Sarandon's character to show up at, at the Blaylock's apartment and Miriam would get her drunk and then, you know, have her way with her. And Susan Sarandon said, no, no, no person, no matter what their sexual orientation would need to get drunk to have no. sex with Catherine Deneuve. That makes no, no sense. <laughs> I have a tiny sip of wine, and then I decide, yeah, I'm going to do this with her. Like, and that totally makes sense. Like that, because Miriam, oh my God, to be her, but not be the vampire part, but just to be this beautiful, over the top, elegant woman who's clearly wearing fashion that is no longer in style, but she's like, I don't care. I'm fucking beautiful. I'm mm-hmm. ever living, and I choose to look like I'm straight out of the 1940s every single day of my life. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm fine with that, girl. You do that because she looks amazing. I mean, well, you know what? She, looks wonderful. You know what she plays upon? You know the hot cougar next door. They're always wearing something <laughs> that's two generations before. And then the younger person, male, female, whatever, goes, hmm, okay. You know, they're, ma- they're mature they're ma- or mature, yeah. you know, as we would say in the 80s, mature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this movie, um, I got introduced to this by my first girlfriend who basically um, I was with for a few years. And then she reveals her um, – that she's a lesbian and doesn't want to be with me anymore. And then we'd watch this movie and <laughs> this is torture, horrible torture. Oh no. Oh yeah. gosh. Greg, at, Greg, at 16 years old, this movie, uh, I can't, I can't speak all of it because, uh, it'd be too revealing on her end and it's unfair, but just this movie, um, it has an effect on people and it has a following and just Tony Scott made a career off this damn movie from the visual style. And I like the movies that we picked this week, Trista, because mm-hmm. it's a lot of directors early on. And one of the films you're going to hit on later is a director very early on in his career and just, you know, you're given this story that isn't yours and you make it your own and it's hard early in your career yeah. as a director. And these are directors, I mean, Tony Scott, you know, Top Gun, you know, everything just goes on and on. True romance, just the list goes on and on and on, you know, of yeah. what he's accomplished since this film. And I mean, I love that you bring up uh Good old uh, uh, Catherine Deneuve just kills it in this movie. Um, <laughs> the casting was just a masterstroke. It adds a elegance to it, 
and just this whole, you know, she's the mama bird in the movie. You know, you all are under me. And you could tell even Bowie mm-hmm. and the greatest scene where, you know, he looks at her in the, you know, shower forever. She's like, what? Mm-hmm. Forever and ever. And you just get that whole mood. And it's, she's just like, yeah, of course. Yeah. But of course, no. <laughs> yeah. Miriam is a badass. I mean, she she's definitely um I I like my analogy for her was like one of those kids who's an only kid and they have all these expensive toys and they never get rid of them and they yep. don't want anybody else to touch them either. It's like they keep everything and it's not about really the love of the object it's just owning the object and she like miriam calls that love you know she's oh i love you all she doesn't she likes possessing those things and she actually feeds more she's not just like a blood vampire i feel like she is one of those energy draining type of people like she Mm -hmm. she has to have somebody with her at all times reflecting love back at her so she's going to pretend like, oh, we have this never-ending love that's going to you know, stand the test of time. But really, it's until you get old and ugly, and then she finds a new person, and she's just going to put you away. That's, that's what Miriam really is. You cannot be like fooled by her tears or you know, this facade that she has. Like All of that is just to draw people in so that she can own them. Every time I've watched this movie, as I've gotten older, has had a different effect on me, and I'm going to leave it with this, and then I'll play the trailer. Um, Mm -hmm. I was cracking up my my girlfriend. Um, There's that great song by Lana Del Rey, you know, um, you know, will you still love me when I'm no longer young and beautiful? And through the whole movie, it hit me, that song. (laughs) I was like, yep, this whole movie, that could have been, if Lana Del Rey was around then, she would have sang that song from uh, The Great Gatsby, sang it Mm. over this movie, because it's the theme of the movie, will you still love me when I'm no longer young and beautiful, and in her terms, it's The answer is no. No, from her, it's (laughs) fuck and no, fuck, dot, 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 no, so uh, let's play. The Hunger Trailer. Sarah Roberts is in jeopardy. Hey, lady. How about it? Stay with her. Help her. For she has begun to feel the awful horror of The Hunger. John Blaylock. The Hunger has given him everlasting life. Until now, pray for him. Miriam Blaylock. She feeds one day in seven on the unsuspecting, and soon she will turn into something that you will never be able to forget. No matter how hard and how long you try, fear her. What have you done to me? Forever and ever. And life signs terminate right here. <laughs> Oh my god! 
to none. The cruel elegance of David Bowie. The open sensuality of Susan Sarandon. Combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear. I'm going to start describing myself. Cruel elegance. I like that. Yeah. Wait, you're um, leaving out perverse. And that too. <laughs> there's a lot of other. <laughs> you're perverse too. So, uh, yeah. We're all perverse. Pot, so, meat, cattle. <laughs> that's right. Um, let's move on. Time is a tyrant, and I don't want to run out of time on your movies. Um, actor Philip Say. I'm going to link up to your next film. So you are on deck, Video Vixen, for the next three movies. Hit it. Uh, Here we go. So we are starting out um, with that link through uh, Philip Sayer to Extro uh, from 1982. That was uh, directed by Harry Davenport. Um. In addition to Philip Sayers, it stars Bernice Steggers, Danny Brannon, uh, Simon Nash, and this is also uh, the film debut of uh, Miriam Dabo. Mm-hmm. So uh, this movie, uh, the print ads and the trailer for this movie scared me so much when I was a kid that I actually did not see this movie until I was an adult because that's how – scared I was to actually watch it. Good move. Good move. (laughs) And you need, I I do not recommend this movie for kids, actually. (laughs) You think? Um, Jesus Christ. Anyway. It's, just to give a brief story overview for for those who haven't seen it, um, Extro is a British uh, creature feature from the early 80s. Um, It is one of the most grotesque and weird movies ever, but somehow it didn't end up on the video nasties list. I'm not sure how it it squeaked through because it should have been on that list. Um, the critics hated this movie, but of course it achieved like cult status. Um, basically the premise is this, this father and son, uh, Sam and Tony, they're hanging out in their yard one day out in the country, and they're just having a good time when Sam is abducted by aliens. Um, And then we cut to like three years later, I think it's three years later, and Sam has actually returned to his family, but he's not the same person that he was before. And his reasons for returning are pretty nefarious. He's he's got some plans uh, for his son Tony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> yeah, where do we start with this one? Uh, well, it is. I mean, a 
Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say this is truly one of those what the fuck movies because yep. there's so many bizarre and disgusting scene, scenes in it that uh, you're, you're just – you never get, like, proper footing while you're watching this because everything is off. Nobody acts normal. The music is really weird. People don't act the way you would, like regular people act. And you might even ask yourself, are we on Earth or is this a weird alternate universe where this is happening? Because the people are odd anyway without the alien stuff going on. Now, I give two factors to why this film is so weird. One, Brits, you know, have a strange <laughs> sense weird. of humor. Yeah. <laughs> They like things a little askew more than us. B, I mean, well, just backtracking. Monty Python. Thank you. Anyway. Um, yes. Then, this is one of our early Bob Shea, Robert Shea's produced films under New Line Cinema, pre-Nightmare on Elm Street. And when I was watching this this time... Because the only other time I watched, I watched this two other times. One was when I was at the fucking drive-in. <laughs> My oh, family. God. I was way too young. There were three films. And it was The Beach Girls, which I shouldn't have been seeing at my age, which was probably about 14, 13. The second film was Escape from New York, which is the film we went for. Whole family watches Escape from New York, okay? Then, uh-huh. Extra was the film after. Everybody's asleep <laughs> in the car except me watching a full-on male human being coming out of a woman's hoo-ha. Jesus Christ. Well, <laughs> shit. I guess I found out how babies were made. My Lord. <laughs> Woo! The age of like fourteen. It um, is. Yeah, it's extreme, as you said. It's yeah. Uh, this movie could scar you for life. If yeah. I mean, there are so many moments in this film where you want to throw up. That mm-hmm. it, like, if you if you watch this movie and you don't want to throw up, something is wrong. Like, I, I feel yeah. like there's a thing in you that possibly <laughs> you may want to see some sort of you know professional to talk about uh, because I've seen this movie several times at this point and it still makes me just gag at yeah. multiple moments in this mm-hmm. film. Yeah. This time it was, it was interesting. It was, it was, um, I was like, damn, it took me back to the drive-in. It really did. I was like, wow, I remember when I was young, and I was like, I'm not supposed to be seeing this, but I was, so <laughs> whatever. It's like when you yeah. sneak into the living room, and The Exorcist is showing on CBS Movie of the Week, and you're like, well, that happened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see so that in my head at... for the next five weeks. Yeah, that's good. Okay. I mean, so, you know, they based on my reactions and reactions of people that I know that have seen this movie. And I was like, what the fuck did the critics say to this? 
you know, because surely they had some really strong words for it, right? Because, I mean, this mm-hmm. movie is a cult classic now, but, I mean, audiences must have been, like, just stunned when they first saw it. Um, so I looked up, you know, what did what did the critics say? And our buddy Roger Ebert, um, he You're, gave I, this movie <laughs> <laughs> one out of four stars uh, among – other choice words he had for it. He said it was ugly, depressing, and nihilistic. Um, TV guy. Almost, TV guy. I almost pulled audio for this review. I almost pulled audio. Oh, God. I wish you had. Um, TV oh. Guide gave it zero stars out of four mm-hmm. stars. They said that Extra is a vile exercise in grotesque special effects and an excuse to parade all manner of perversities across the screen. Mm-hmm. So that was their take on it. And I was yeah. like, yes. And that's why I give this movie 10 stars. It is a perfect <laughs> film. It's gross. You'll want to throw up. But it's also like they're, what they're missing out on here is, yes, it's very perverse and it's disgusting. But it's original. It's quirky. Um, and it's entertaining for people like us who are looking for something beyond just yep. this, these regular blockbuster hits that you know get pumped out at us on a regular basis. This was doing something very different for 1982. Oh yeah, no, I mean, it's a midnight. It's a midnight movie. It's pushing it. It's pushing the limits. It's seeing what you can take for sure. Um, I mean, there's no bones about it. It's it's just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Um, and the, if we could go into every scene, it would ruin it. It really would. You need to go. It's on. It's on YouTube. Do you know anywhere else where it's at? You can't get it anywhere else. No. I I, no. I looked. It's it's not streaming anywhere that I can yeah. find. I don't think anybody wants it anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's play the trailer because I want to leave enough room for uh, uh, a little more normal movies. So uh, let's play this. <laughs> yeah. Tony's father has been away a long time. Now he's coming home. <laughs> Extro has returned. Once a man, he is now something more than human. Indestructible, ever-changing, evil. His mission, to avenge, to possess, to destroy. Why did you come back? I came back for you. If you think hard about something, you can make it happen.
some extraterrestrials aren't friendly. From New Line Cinema. No shit. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't E.T. Uh, Hell no. no. Nope. Not by a long shot. <laughs> All right. Well, take us into your uh, next movie. Yeah, so we're going to connect through actor David Carty. Um, He played the boyfriend of the au pair in Extra. Um, We're connecting to uh, 1983's The Keep that was uh, directed by Michael Mann. Um, It's based on the novel by F. Paul Wilson, and the movie stars some of our favorites, uh, Scott Glenn, Gabriel Byrne, uh, Sir Ian McKellen, before he was Sir, uh, Robert Prosky, and Jurgen uh, Prochnow. Uh, so just the overview of the story, it's set during World War II. Um, a unit of the German Wehrmacht are op- occupying a keep in Romania and they accidentally release an ancient being that was imprisoned inside the keep. So with the help of a Jewish historian, his daughter, and this mysterious warrior, um, will the Nazis triumph over the evil they've unleashed? Well, the Nazis won't but because they can't triumph. But we do get a battle against this mysterious uh, creature. So, how do you feel about this movie, Greg? I mean, it's Michael Mann. It's an early film of his, and you can see his visual style in this movie. But I always saw his little heavy-handed on his part back in the day. I mean, you have tons of actors, and it's um, when I played the trailer. Like the studio, like had a super hard on this brand new director, you know, um, you know, we've got this great piece of property and you can tell they're just like swinging their dicks around about it. It was good. I mean, but, you know, visually it's great, but uh, I mean, the creature's good, but I mean, what do you think of it? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I, I've watched this movie tons of times. Uh, I mean, it is a cult favorite, but I think it, it is a mess. I mean, it, it, this movie mm-hmm. is really messy. It, it's good enough for you to keep your attention. So you'll watch it, but when you're paying attention, you notice all the shortcomings of this film. Uh, I like Michael Mann's original cut of this movie was over three hours long and uh, Paramount just took it and butchered it down to an hour and a half. So that's why this movie is pretty much incomprehensible. You don't know what the fuck is going on. You, I mean, there, there is a, there's a narrative that you can kind of follow, but you're not understanding people's motivations for why they're doing things or people's relationships it's all that all went on the cutting room floor. Uh, the only thing that saved this movie is style points because Michael Mann, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. The really strong casting and that Tangerine Dream score. Oh that, yeah. That's super moody and it just fits, you know, the visuals. 
those are what saves it. Otherwise, if you were just looking for a strong story, you are not getting that in this film. Yeah, it's just the studio seems like it got really full of itself. And there's movies that studios put out. They don't want to it all comes down to those fucking test screenings or some studio exec that watches it and goes, I don't get it. And then all of a sudden yep. scenes are cut and you're like, wait, are you kidding me? You know, that's important. Nope. Nope. You know, let's make it simple. Let's make it good for Bob and Dubuque. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't <laughs> want it for Bob and Dubuque. You want it, you know, to be heady. And this came out, you know, the time of Lady Hawk and Excalibur and, you know, all those, you know, strong sword and sorcery movies, too. It's like, come on, you know, trust your audience. Trust, you know, that they want something heady. And, I mean, it, it tried to come off a little pretentious, too. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, you could... The the thing reason I'm glad you picked this was because it showed the early glimmers of Michael Mann and his visual style, especially the blues. You know, he had his blue hue uh-huh. and you know, all that and you know, the creature is good. You know, he's very he's very uh power grayskull, you know, if you will. <laughs> yeah. going, it's why I played that <laughs> in the opening. It's like, yeah, we'll eat their heads and shit. It's like, okay, cool, great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take them yeah, all I mean, on. This movie, it, it, I wish we could get our hands on that three-hour version because I think if we could see that, this movie mm-hmm. would be – this could have been a creature feature epic. Like this oh, could yeah. have been the, the godfather of monster movies if oh, yeah. they had let it be what it what it was supposed to be but like from the beginning like this the production went over budget because they had bad weather and it prolonged the shooting and then man kept changing his mind about like what he wanted uh molasar the, the, the monster how he wanted it to look so they did all these different designs and there was even like i think i read there was like um animatronic or or something version built that they didn't even end up using so that's a lot of money down the drain and then the the post-production uh like the special effects supervisor he died two weeks into post-production and nobody knew what he planned to do so they (laughs) had to just figure that shit out without Mm -hmm. like this is why the finale of the sucks so bad because man yeah. had like he he had decided how he wanted the movie to end, and the studio was like, nope. So that little that it ends with a you know on a whimper kind of thing. Yep. That's what we mm-hmm. got because of the studio. Like they were just done with it at that point. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. We need Speaking that of director's whimpers. cut. Speaking of whimpers, can you explain something to me? Let's go What's back that? to uh, Extro. <laughs> Not Extro, yes. sorry. Um, Chud. Um, just because you kill the mayor and you set his van on fire, what happens to the creatures? Hmm. Yeah. 
That's why we got a sequel. Anyway, moving on. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I was so all I remember what was just to kill the mayor. <laughs> I remember watching the movie this time and it, it, you know they run the credits and I go, "But wait. They didn't blow up any of the fucking chuds." <laughs> and my lady goes, "Yeah, you're right." And I go, "Oh shit. Okay. That's why there was a sequel. Okay." Chud the butt. Wow. Okay, moving on. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Well, you that's know what? why that didn't even occur to me. <laughs> well, that's why I'm bringing up in the keep. It is a shit ending. It really is. You're like, you're gonna have this, you know, malevolent, you know, godlike, you know, hey, you know, I need this, need that, uh, and then all of a sudden, okay, that's it. I mean, you can always yeah. tell when a film runs out of budget for a studio when in the, you know, fifth reel, nothing happens. And it just kind of goes, boop, you know, let's end it this way, you know, and yeah, that's it. Yeah. Pretty lame. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's play the pretentious trailer for The Keep. All right. Picture event. The Keep. Presented at selected theaters in 70mm and 6-track Dolby Stereo. The Keep brings together no less than 14 Academy Award nominees and winners for technical achievements and special effects. Michael Mann directs this startling vision of mankind's ultimate challenge. The Keep. Uh, they also did the soundtrack for uh, Wavelength, 
Uh, that was directed by uh, Mike Gray. You like this movie? I love this movie. What do you think? Yeah, I'm glad. Oh, um, fantastic. So it stars, stars Robert Carradine, uh, Sherry Curry uh, from The Runaways, and mm-hmm. uh, Keenan Wynn. And this is a very sweet movie. Um, a musician named Bobby and uh, an artist named Iris who has uh, telepathic powers. So they meet at a bar one night and they hook up. And uh, the next morning, Iris says that she can hear thoughts calling out for help. And they decide to go and investigate what where these sounds are coming from. And they discover these aliens are being held captive in this military facility. So they decide they're going to, to rescue these childlike beings and help them return to their home planet. And that's pretty much, it's like boy meets girl, boy and girl meet aliens, aliens go home, the end. Uh, <laughs> that's to me, the movie. This movie, and it's a compliment, it's E.T. meets Starman, and it's amazing. Um, just, I thought that back in the day, just the creation and just the mood, and I can't believe this isn't available anywhere, like on DVD or anywhere. It's insane, because it's so good. Um, like, Sherry Curry's performance is fun. Uh, Robert Carradine. I mean, he's a Carradine. He's a natural. I mean, just mm-hmm. his whole, their whole chemistry builds the first half. And you get interest in them. And then she hears these dolphin, you know, sounding sounds that are the aliens. And you're like, I'm in. Okay. Take us, take us to yeah. where the aliens are. And you're like, Okay. And you're just roped in for the next hour of awesomeness to me. I, I love yeah, this movie. I, I think it's just a very sweet film. It's like they're they're totally doing this because they're good people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it's not as popular because, uh, like, okay, so my 16-year-old daughter watched this movie uh, with me, and – her reaction was she said it was boring and she said isn't anybody going to die in this movie oh, and shit. and i think she kind of hit the nail on the head where where like <laughs> there there's not there's tension in that the government is trying to like is pursuing these people that have like kidnapped these aliens but no one dies like there's no bloodshed you get a, a a tiny bit of an alien autopsy thing going on in the beginning but for the most part this is uh like no violence you know very little blood in this film it 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 is more of a character study than it is an action film and i i think maybe that's why it just doesn't get as much love behind it as as other films that are like mm-hmm. it but i it's totally worth 
watching, and we loved the aliens, which were, like, really just naked little kids, but, like, without genitals, which is kind of weird. But um, if you remember, like, Battle Beyond the Stars, do you remember the Kelvins? Mm -hmm. So we were like, these aliens are like the Kelvins because they communicate using body heat the same way that the Kelvins did, uh, which we thought was pretty cool. And uh, you mentioned Starman. It's the same spaceship from Starman. It is. And I thought that was cool. Yes. It's a big sphere. So apparently that's, you know, if Carpenter knows it, and Gray knows it. That's the truth. So uh, that's the mothership that's going to come pick us all up, the big sphere, everybody. When you see the big sphere, you can go into it if they want you. So just letting you know. <laughs> when you see the big sphere, go ahead. It's all good. Or it might not be good. We don't know. They might go, nope. Yeah. But when I saw it come down, I go, Starman. Yeah. Back in the day, I remembered mm-hmm. saying it, and this time I I watched it last week, and I went, yeah, it's Starman, yeah, pretty much, big sphere, yep. Yeah, it's just I I highly recommend it for people who want something. I mean, it, it is very slow paced, um, and the storyline is pretty simple, but it's it's just it's not the greatest movie ever ever made, and it's not action packed. But it has really good intentions behind it, and I, I, I recommend people giving it a shot. Uh, I There's, wouldn't watch it late at night because I totally mm-hmm. dozed off a couple of times with mm-hmm. that that Tangerine Dream score, and then plus the pace of the film can make you sleepy. But if you're up during the day, this is like a Sunday afternoon sort of movie. You just took the words right out of my mouth. There's three kinds of creature features. One of them is like your 3.30 movie. You know, you just got out of work, and it used to be the 3.30 movie, and you'd come home, and you'd be like, oh, man, I want some creature attacking some shit, you know? And so it's ants or giant, you know, know, Godzilla or, you know, giant mantises or some shit, and you're amused. Mm -hmm. And then there's the late-night crazy ass movie that you go to the theater to see and that's extra and you're probably not going to get it late after that unless you're with Trista and then you got a chance (laughs) right and then am I wrong yeah (laughs) I am that girl (laughs) my brain just got fucked up I need help Trista let me help you anyway sorry and then, uh, hey, my girl ran out of the room halfway through the movie. That was, for everybody, full disclosure, she's like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. You really need to watch all this? Yeah. Okay. We finish that. I'll see you later. <laughs> nope. And then there's the creature feature that uh, the video vixen has told us and is in the right your Saturday or Sunday afternoon, you know, I've just done lawn work. I'm going to put my legs up, chill out. What do we got on? Oh, damn. We've got these, you know, aliens in these little canisters and it's called wavelength. Okay. And they're, you know, 
putting out dolphin sounds to this girl and they're speaking to her. Okay, they're going to go down there and it's a sleepy little ass movie so that if you, you know, doze off for 15 minutes, you come back and then, oh, 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 what happened? And, you know, you watch the rest of it and it's good. So, uh, yeah, different kinds of creature features on display here on the show. <laughs> yeah, I think we pretty much did uh we did this justice cuz we got all yes. kinds of creatures in here we got man made we got some you know uh i guess what would you call it like tribal to traditional ones we've got yes. you know ever living beings we've got mm-hmm. space creatures aliens mm-hmm. uh we we went all over the place we did all oh, they're all different genres they're all different speeds of movie um, you know, so pick one, enjoy it, uh, find them on your streaming service, find them on your YouTube and watch them illegally. Um, who cares? Um, you know, everything's out there somewhere now and there's people that are going to watch on BitTorrent anyway, so it's not going to matter. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I wanted to thank you. We're we're not, we're We're not telling you to do the wrong thing, but sometimes you got to do the wrong thing to get to the right thing. So we that's know that. everybody's going to do the wrong thing anyway. So <laughs> we didn't do the wrong thing. We are the video vixen and Hollywood Greg, and we've told you these fine films, and we appreciate you watching. We've had a good build in listenership on this podcast again, and uh, go to Hollywood Greg on Instagram, on Facebook. And check out all the other podcasts I have. Trista, you want to plug anything? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Trista, P-R-E-Z. Uh, I'm also on Facebook uh, as the – I have my the Video Vixen page. Uh, and otherwise, just look for Greg and I interacting. Uh, we're both also on Twitter, so you can find us there as well. Yeah, Definitely. But uh, enjoy uh, listening to the other podcasts. We have a bunch of other ones. This is episode 13 or 14 or whatever it is. And uh, keep listening. And we will have another one in the next few weeks. Uh, Thank you, Video Vixen. And uh, any plans for this weekend? Uh, Stay indoors because our air quality is hazardous. (laughs) Don't go outside. Stay in and watch movies. The fog is not good. And (laughs) shit, evil beings will not come out of it like you would hope. (laughs) Yeah, if only. If only. All right. Everybody, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 